Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and it's great to be with you for another week of Walking the Camino together. It's not that anything that happens on pilgrimage is magical, although there are some kind of magical moments, I suppose, but mostly it's not magical. Mostly it's just an acceleration of things that might happen in our everyday life, but it becomes just so concentrated in the experience of pilgrimage. That was this week's guest, Dr. Jeremiah Gibbs, and we'll get to Jeremiah in just a moment. But first, thanks for your ongoing support. It means the world to me. As we approach 250 episodes, seems ridiculous. This is a podcast about El Camino de Santiago, and the Camino is a pilgrimage. You can walk a pilgrimage anywhere, at any time. I like to think of my entire life as a pilgrimage. Some days you're on the meseta, striding out, peering and squinting at the wheat fields, the bread of life, that go on forever. Some days you're climbing the staircase into Portamara and wondering when the incline will ease. Some days you're walking the steep decline into Molina Seca, wishing you'd get to where you're going so you can put your feet in the river to cool down. Maybe you're climbing the Pyrenees, staring out across the misty mountains to the following day, wishing, hoping and praying. Perhaps you're trudging through the suburbs of Burgos, dreaming of seeing the cathedral spire in the distance, sitting in the cafe across from the municipal albergue, enjoying a cold beer with some lovely, generous, kind German pilgrims. Any day can be a day of pilgrimage. Every day forms part of your journey. Will you take the time today to enjoy the twists and turns of your life's pilgrimage and stop from time to time to take in the view of the past and of the future? Whether you're on the underground in London in a town square in Toronto, a cafe in Seoul, an art gallery in Kosovo. Maybe you're listening to me in a bar in Manila, at home on the lounge in Buenos Aires, or fixing dinner for your family in Oslo. Welcome. Welcome to our weekly walk together to celebrate the life of St. James, in whose name millions of pilgrims have traversed the Camino de Santiago. I love the pilgrim community because they share and care. And pilgrims step outside their comfort zone and decide to throw away all the preconceived conceptions they have of their own ability. Or maybe what their family and friends believe they were capable of. It's been a big week. We're finally out of lockdown in Sydney. And the big news is Australia's international borders are opening. So I hope to be back on the Camino before I know it. In the meantime, we'll get to the end of the year, Christmas and loved ones, family and friends, before we know it. My quote this week is not really a quote. Then again, maybe it's the perfect quote. John Cage said, Begin anywhere. Cage was one of the most successful composers of the modern era. He died almost 30 years ago. But his music still rings out around the world. And his love of what he did still brings people together, still resounds in the hearts and minds of those he touched, because he had the courage to begin anywhere. I'm really looking forward to this week's interview. Dr. Jeremiah Gibbs is university chaplain at the University of Indianapolis. Welcome, Pilgrim. Ah, Hi there, Dan. Good to be on with you. You've made an excellent series of videos about the Camino. You're officially a vlogger. (laughs) Yes, it is. But first, and before we get to the Camino, tell us about your pilgrimage with Christ. Marine boot camp is an unusual place to find God. 
Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of, I think most of the people around me thought it was unusual as well. Um, but I never had grown up in a religious home at all. Um, and then arrived um, in Marine boot camp and, and really even just the first Sunday in Marine boot camp, um, accepted uh, Christ into my life in a kind of sinner's prayer style of, uh, of confession. And then... Um, very quickly got involved in church ministry when I returned home out of uh, Marine Boot Camp. And um, and within about a year or so, I had answered a call to, to ministry, and it was going to be a, some time before uh, that was uh, realized in my work, um, but uh, but began a path pretty early on. And um, and so I've now been um, a Christian minister for, you know, um, guess it's about uh, 18 years now. Um, so um, yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely a, uh, an unusual beginning <laughs> and uh, I'm really glad to, uh, uh, to have found my way uh, into the, to the life of leading others towards Christ as well. So. so tell us then about the journey from believer to leader. Mm, that's a good question. I, you know, um, I'm not sure that anyone chooses it. I think that probably leadership um, comes somewhat naturally to me, both from my past, but then also in the Marine Corps where everyone is always moving towards leadership. But I think um, part of it was a a group of leaders who were around me who really nurtured me for leadership, even from the very beginning. Um, I, I... came home from boot camp and got involved in a church ministry um, that was a very large youth group. It was about 500 teenagers that were part of this uh, church. And um, the youth pastor at the time said, you know, if you're going to be a part of a high school youth ministry and you're now a graduated high school, then you got to be to work. You got to get to, you got to be a part of the the uh, leadership uh, team. And so they put me to work doing what I could do. I was doing sound and audio um, kind of things and helping set up uh, the, the structure there. And, and um, you know, it was, uh, that was kind of my, my first instances of leadership and, and really from the very beginning was functioning in those, those ways with young people, uh, even before I was mature enough to do it probably. Um, and, uh, and, and honestly, you know, I, I found it really rewarding to be able to see people, uh, not only grow in relationship with God, but also just to, uh, live healthier lives, make better choices, you know, and, and, uh, and more whole lives. And so, um, that, that really resonated with me from early on and, and now have been um, kind of following that path for quite a while. And now I've got the joy to be able to, uh, to do that every day with college students as a, as a university chaplain pastor. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I get, to, I get to walk, quite literally walk, uh, but also figuratively walk with college students on a regular basis. So um, really a, the best job I could have probably. It's interesting you say that word job because the first question that just sprang to my mind was what's it like having a job when it's your life? I just recently uh, released my second book actually during the pandemic and it's on a Christian vocation and how you pursue Christian vocation. And so, you know, I really, my hope is that all of us are able to walk in 
uh, a calling, whether that's, in my case, it's a, a religious calling, but also just a calling to be a part of the healing of the world, you know? And, uh, and so I think everybody has the opportunity to do that. I think I do, it's kind of a, a position of privilege to think that way, that we can answer a calling with our work, um, where so often we are just, many people are just trying to earn an income, you know? Um, but, uh, but I have the, the opportunity to, to lead people to do that all of the time. And that's really a joy. But, um, but for me, you know, uh, I, I do get paid salary for the different (laughs) things that I do. Um, but, uh, I, I probably could earn more doing other things. Um, but I, I love being able to be a part of people's lives in these ways, you know, to be able to uh, to serve them um, and to be able to see people grow. So wonderful! it's really an honor. Yeah, that's wonderful. What an honor, yeah. Tell us, Jeremiah, how, how did the Camino come into your life? Well, that actually was part of my work originally as well. So I, I was obviously in the Marine Corps. I had hiked a lot, and I don't exactly remember the first time that I heard about Camino de Santiago, but it would have been... Um, you know, at least 15 years ago that I heard somebody mention it casually. And I just said, you know, I'm not interested in hiking. That's, I I did that in the Marines. I don't need to, to walk anymore. Um, but then I had an opportunity, uh, through my work, we have led people on pilgrimages every year, um, for probably 25 years through our ministry. And some of those are service pilgrimages, which is what we would call, uh, what other people might call short-term mission trip, um, we recognize that much of what we're doing there is growing in our faith, and so we talk about those as service pilgrimage. Um, but then we alternate those with spiritual pilgrimages. And um, before I arrived, they were taking students to Tizé, France, for about a week, week and a half, um, to experience the religious community in Tizé. Um, and that was a that was certainly an important pilgrimage for many students. But by the time I had arrived there, there were very few students who were interested in in a week of silence in France. Um, and so we were struggling just to be able to recruit people into the program. And so I started thinking about other pilgrimages, maybe a Holy Land pilgrimage or pilgrimage to Rome. Right. Uh, and those all had a, a kind of appeal to them. Um, but then. Uh, Actually, one of the reasons that Camino became our pilgrimage for our office went back to um, a book that I had students reading in our Christian formation classes. So there's a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years by Donald Miller. Right. And in the course of this memoir that Donald Miller writes about, he takes a bicycle trip across America. And the students resonated with that bicycle trip so much. So I started thinking about what would it mean to do sort of an endurance experience with students? Um, Because that kind of, you know, uh, there's just a lot of growing up that happens, right? Um, Which we know well, and and they were even identifying it as they read. And so I thought about things like Appalachian Trail here in America, but the Appalachian Trail is a wilderness hike that would be quite dangerous to take... um, a lot of people into a trail that I don't know when I'm going to be able to get them food and water and so on. So, um, so looked at Camino actually first as a kind of an endurance challenge in that vein of, uh, what we had talked about with, with Donald Miller's and Donald Miller's book. Um, and then I realized that, that, that was actually a much better experience of pilgrimage than the other things that, that we had been talking about anyway. 
And so I first went um, in uh, 2000, oh gosh, um, I guess 2015 was my first pilgrimage. And that was an exploratory pilgrimage, knowing that I would go back and return with students the following year. Um, Actually, it was 2014 was my first. So 2015 was my first pilgrimage with students. Uh, But the first time I just went for a few days with my wife, we actually only walked about three days um, but we saw some of the major cities and understood some of the logistics. That was really what I was concerned with on that first trip. But, but even from the very first trip, I knew that this was, was, was going to be a powerful experience in my own life and also in the life of my students. So, As, as a shepherd in your local community, how, how does the Camino help, to care, help you to care for your flock, as it were? Well, I think... Um, well, there's a couple things that it does. Um, the one that's the most obvious is I think there are lots of folks who are willing and excited to take on the pilgrimage who would not be uh, ones who would be in church every single week. You know, there are people who find an interest here and find kind of a, a hold that wouldn't be in our chapel worship services on a weekly basis. In fact, I would say only maybe half of my pilgrims that walk Camino with me are ones who are regular in my chapel community. So there's there's this opportunity to engage people who would otherwise be less engaged. So that certainly has uh, some value um, to it. But I think the other thing that happens is... Um, the kind of community that we've all experienced walking Camino um, for them starts in November of the year that the year before they go, because that's when they're first selected to be a part of the pilgrimage group. And then we do some training experiences and some orientation experiences. So by the time we left in May, we've built relationship for six months of this uh, sort of cohort of people who, have uh, a single goal, you know, a, a shared goal. And, um, and so by the time we leave for Camino, many times there's deep relationships already formed. And then, of course, uh, the, they experience those relationships on Camino knowing that they're going to return home to some of those same friendships, which I think is different than many of us that go and, and form these Camino relationships and friendships not knowing um, whether we'll see those people again. Wow. So, so really there's a, a community that, that has a, an endurance long before and after um, the actual pilgrimage walking part of the pilgrimage. Um, and so, so there's certainly some important community uh, happening there. I guess the third thing I'd say about how it helps sort of shepherd them is that... Um, you know, I think for many 18, 19, 20-year-olds, uh, this is an incredibly challenging emotional and spiritual journey. Yeah. Um, they are Many of them are not as challenged by the physical aspects, although some of them are because they just go too fast or, or <laughs> so on. But, um, but they wouldn't be challenged by the physical aspects if they were wise, probably. So many of them are in great health and, and ability. Um, but the the challenge of walking through a place that they don't know, uh, being away from everything that's comfortable and known, um, and uh, sleeping in these hostels with people that um, 
that they're just getting to know, I think is, is really a lot of maturity that's happening. Um, even just the maturity of relationship, you know, that, uh, one person says something snippy because they're tired and hot and, and in pain. And, and then you have to, uh, you know, negotiate a, a relationship that's, that's stressed or, or something like that. So, you know, so the experience of pilgrimage for many of them is a big growing up experience. I, I take them usually when I'm with students, I walk from Astorga to Santiago. And so I often say that those, uh, the three weeks on Camino will grow them up about three years <laughs> because, you know, it's not that it's not that anything that happens on pilgrimage is magical, although there are some kind of magical moments, I suppose, but Mostly it's not magical. Mostly it's just a, a, an acceleration of things that might happen in our everyday life, but it becomes just so concentrated in the experience of pilgrimage, which really goes back to you know, the medieval uh, theologians when they talked about pilgrimage. We sometimes talk about you know, um, uh, that, that pilgrimage is, is like our everyday life. And they would often reverse that metaphor. They would say that their life is like a pilgrimage. Yeah. You know, so they, they really talked the other direction that they, um, pilgrimage talk was, was integrated into their everyday language much more deeply than it is for us. Um, because it was just an important metaphor all the way around for the medieval time. Yeah, you've written a, a blog about that. Um, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about, actually. It's really quite yeah. interesting that reversing the concept of, of pilgrimage reflecting life and life reflecting pilgrimage. But I was also reading some of your other writings, and you said within Protestant Christian circles, interest in spiritual pilgrimage has grown significantly in recent years. For many years, the practices left mainly to Catholics but Protestants have always made journeys to the Holy Land or significant churches within their tradition. But now Protestants are beginning to rediscover the rich language and practice of pilgrimage that makes these trips significant opportunities for spiritual formation. Talk us through that. Yeah. that that's something I'd never read before or learned before. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, Martin Luther was highly critical of um, pilgrimage um, and he wasn't the only reformer who was critical of pilgrimage. And there was a couple different reasons for that. You know, part of it was the uh, system of indulgences that were closely aligned with pilgrimage. So sure. many people would make pilgrimage and then at the, at, at the end of their pilgrimage would pay indulgences and so on. So they were, there was a close tie between those practices. And, uh, and Martin Luther and, and other reformers were just really critical of the whole practice of pilgrimage. And so... Um, after the Reformation, it really kind of fell out of popularity with, among the Protestant side of, of Christians. And really, the resurgence, I think, is um, a part of the same resurgence of pilgrimage. It's just gr it's grown across, across religious traditions across the world. You know, the pilgrimages in Japan and, and uh, you know, just all across the world. There's just a, a resurgence in interest in pilgrimage. And I think that kind of um, came back into Protestantism without a memory of that earlier critique. You know, we're now 600 years or, uh, or 500 years out from that critique, and and most uh, Protestants are not that historically minded anyway. So, yeah. so most, most of them don't really remember that this was, you know, considered a, a pretty problematic thing for many Protestants. Um, 
and so they kind of disc- have discovered it anew. And I, you know, I don't, I, I have more Protestants uh, who are going on pilgrimage with me than I do Catholics. I certainly have a number of Catholics, but um, but have just as many Protestants, and in fact, more um, Protestants. So, I think you know, you're right that the experiences, for example, of a Holy Land trip often would not have been called a pilgrimage um, a few years ago. We've adopted that language even to talk about Holy Land trips probably in these in these uh, recently. But um, yeah, there was very little of that talk um, and that language has gotten to be more frequently adopted. And as I said, you know, in our campus ministry, we've even begun talking about service pilgrimage yeah. um, where, you know, you think about the, the key points of what makes a pilgrimage often have to do with um, this notion that there's something holy that you're going to, that you're walking to, or that you're traveling to a holy place. And, uh, and a service pilgrimage is saying, well, that God is already in the place that I'm going. So when I go to Sierra Leone, West Africa, or to Guatemala, or one of these other places that I might travel to, to serve people there, um, God is already there. God's already among the people there, and it's already a holy place before I show up, um, yeah. which has been an important part of how we wanted to shift the language when we take these trips for students. Not that they were going to fix something that was, um, you know, that they were the, the ones who could save uh, this country or something like that, um, but that they were going to a place that was already holy to experience God there as they serve alongside the, the people that live there. So, yeah, so it's been, you know, the language of pilgrimage has really gotten, I would say, adopted quite broadly um, across Protestantism, but not just Protestantism. I think, um, you know, there's lots of religious traditions that are adapting that, that language quite, quite a lot. So Yeah, and, and in that same um, blog, you said that spiritual pilgrimage is supposed to be difficult. Yeah. Why? Why is it supposed to be difficult? Um, well, that's, that's a good question. I'm not sure that, uh, in the most, um, the most basic understanding of what a pilgrimage is would require that it's difficult. Uh, but pretty much throughout the Christian tradition of pilgrimage, there's been an assumption that it was going to be a difficult journey. And I think most of that's because as the tradition develops, um, it would be persons who would be walking long distances just as we do on Camino, you know. Um, and, of course, it was very expensive, which is another thing that made uh, pilgrimage a yeah. um, uh, a challenge, you know, just even, even in its um, in it, in it everyday practice. It was going to be expensive. It was going to require lots of walking. And so um, the tradition came that pilgrimage was something that was to be difficult. Now, I don't know that every, uh, every you know, Holy Land trip, for example, is going to be one that involves that difficulty. But, you know, there are difficulties that are not the, the physical challenge of Camino. There's the, um, you know, the taking, taking, making your schedule able to adopt, adapt to be able to um, make a pilgrimage like this requires certain kinds of sacrifices, the financial sacrifices. Um, you know, there's lots of difficulties that are beyond just the, uh, the, the physical ones like we, we experience when we walk Camino. You know, the, the other thing I, th- I thought which was 
really fascinating was the piece you wrote about spiritual pilgrimage requiring us to disconnect from routine. So why is, why is the disconnection from routine a requirement? That's a good question. I think, um, I think it's because the pilgrimage is, in, is intended to break our, um, our normal orientation to life so right. that we can be open to God. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah um, okay. It's the same. I often use the language with uh, my students that for me in particular, especially now having walked Camino seven times, for me, Camino is just an extended retreat. You know, retreat is a, a practice in Christian tradition where we say there's this going to be this focused time of faith, life, growth. Um, and uh, that might be, um, you know, going to a, a nearby uh, solitary place or um, there's lots of different kinds of retreats, of course. But for me, I really think about pilgrimage as that kind of extended retreat. It's a break from the everyday um, that that invites us to um, to growth, you know. And um, I think, you know, often when we hear people talking about Camino, I love, for example, in the Camino forums and things like that, when people get into a discussion about their phones and whether they should bring a phone uh, and so often there's this kind of visceral reaction from folks that say, oh, you can't, you just can't bring the phone because that will bring you back to your, to your everyday life. It's almost as if there's a, um, uh, a kind of, um, natural inclination to say that we got to be separated from, um, to be able to, uh, have the kind of experience that pilgrimage demands. And just before we get to your videos, I saw in your bio, it said, I have written on Pentecostalism, liturgy, prayer, and apologetics in yeah. academic and professional journals. What is apologetics? <laughs> well, so my dissertation and my first book were on um, Christian apologetics, which was is the defense of Christian faith. So... For example, trying to prove to people that the resurrection really happened or prove to people that the Bible is reliable. Um, so uh, apologetics is the defense of Christian faith. And it's particular problematic in a postmodern world where we have begun to recognize the subjectivity of all knowledge. Knowledge is objective, but it's also subjective. And that was something that the... Um, the uh, post and or the enlightenment thinkers wanted to kind of take that subjectivity out of knowledge say that knowledge could be known on its own so anyway so christian apologetics is is uh, this defense of christian faith that really um for now 500 years or so functioned in an enlightenment mode and my work has been to to ask questions about what it might mean to defend the truth and the reliability of christian faith when we understand knowledge differently in postmodernity, not not trying to eschew postmodern um, epistemologies, the sort of science of knowing, yeah, um, uh, but accepting some postmodern critiques of how people thought about knowing, um, and then how do we still defend Christian faith? So that was that was my first book, and in some ways I have. Um, 
not been incredibly engaged in that uh, circle of knowledge now for um, the last 12 years or so because I, I'm now doing work primarily in vocational discernment with students. And so that just kind of took me in a different direction. But that book, my first book, was uh, really come out of my, my doctoral work. Wow. How fascinating. I love it. I absolutely love it. What people do, what people do, like what motivates them. It so fascinates me. And the discipline that you must have required to to do that depth of study must have been quite extraordinary. What did you learn about Mm. yourself in that journey, that pilgrimage? That's a great question. And and I'm not sure that, um, you know, I, I often have, communicated with my pilgrims as well as my students that I think there was a natural um, inclination in me to do the thing that that's the hardest. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it, the wow. same thing that made me join the Marine Corps is the same thing that made me do a PhD, is the same thing that led me to Camino de Santiago. And I have one well, sort of two, but really one bucket list item that's still on my bucket list and it's running a marathon. And I think it's the same reasoning in me that makes me want to do that, that thing that just seems harder than it can be, you know? And, um, and so I think the discipline that I, that it took to do the PhD for me is not any different than that, uh, discipline that it takes to get up each day and walk because, you know, I think sometimes when we get home, we really romanticize uh, walking pilgrimage as being a, a, this a beautiful, amazing experience of good food and friendship. And of course, it is that. But of course, there's some days you just don't want to walk at all because you're hurting and and so on. And for me, that was the same experience uh, with doing the PhD. You know, there were days that I just uh, I didn't want to have to to do that research anymore. I didn't want to have to read those books anymore. Um, but you just keep pushing through it until it's done. And I, I, I think a lot of my character has been formed by, by that kind of, uh, you know, uh, endurance, I guess. Um, yeah, wow. So, Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, but it was um, the, the interesting thing about some of these things. For example, with the PhD, I mentioned that I really didn't, once that, book was published, I haven't continued to interact in those circles very much. And, and one of the reasons for that is because, uh, you know, the, um, the work that it takes really, in my case, maybe not want to read those books anymore, right? I kind of like just read everything that, that, that I would ever want to read on that. Yeah. Um, and I, there was a time for me when I thought Camino had reached that that limit too. I think it was after my fifth Camino. I was like, I think I've gotten everything that Spain that I want from Spain, you know? And it was after the pandemic said I couldn't go that I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I'm not done with that yet. (laughs) You know? Um, but the, the, I think when you, when you take that kind of discipline, there are, there is a dynamic of it that, um, that isn't not every moment's fun, you know, and um, I, I think that is probably important for all of the areas that I in my life. Wow, great stuff! 
Gosh, I could talk to you for days, Jeremiah. It's so fascinating. I love it. I really do. But I, the reason I'm talking to you and, and the reason you came onto my horizon was the, the videos. Um, someone had shared yeah. them on, the, on a Facebook page and I saw them and I thought, oh, gosh, I have to speak to Jeremiah. So there's a series there. I might just talk about a few. Um, first one or the first one that I saw was the Camino de Santiago budget. How much does mm. the Camino cost? Is cost important, really? Well, uh, it's not if you're incredibly wealthy. <laughs> I guess, yeah, good, right? yeah, good answer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, and and honestly, I can say for me, um, it has never been a concern. In part because I often my trips are paid for when I take students, um, and then other times, you know, my wife and I earn good incomes and. And so it's not that fit, that financially challenging for us. But, you know, for many, many people uh, to do this would takes a incredible financial sacrifice. Um, and so, you know, I think I think in that sense, uh, it is important. Um, and honestly, I think the saving up and the budgeting and the figuring out, can I make my schedule work? Can I make my finances work? Can I make my care for my family and my children work? I think all of those things are part of the pilgrimage too. You know, the pilgrimage doesn't start when we arrive at St. John. Um, and so I, I take seriously that even the, you know, the, the people who are along the journey preparing with me on my YouTube channel, um, that those folks are, are, have already started the pilgrimage when they're listening to videos. Um, so yeah, so I think, I think the cost matters more for, for some than it does for others. Um, uh, but, um, I think it's really part of all of the planning. You know, I, I'm not one who plans a lot. It's just one of the ironies. I've often said that cause a lot of folks will respond to all of the YouTube videos and stuff and say, well, you know why are we doing all this planning? It takes out some of the magic of Camino or something, you know, and and actually, that's kind of my personal um, uh, orientation to planning anyway. But there's so many people that they need to have confidence about their planning to be able to get in that plane and go. So a lot of my videos are oriented towards uh, those kind of planning challenges. Yeah. And there's, there's also another video about Pilgrim apps. Now, I, I, um, I took the John Brearley guidebook with me. Um, the two times I walked and I, I didn't even know about Pilgrim apps. But how does walking with, I guess, walking a pilgrimage with devotion and the spiritual aspect of it, how does that align with having an app on your phone helping you? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think um, in one sense, these devices have gotten integrated into our lives in ways that are not, um, they're not inherently good or bad, you know? Yeah. Uh, there, there's nothing that, there's nothing that makes, for example, a Briarly's book any more, um, grounded than carrying an app on, you know, a phone that has an app on it. Um, there would be some who, you know, just have a preference for, um, 
have a preference for paper or something like that. Yeah. Um, but, but uh, you know, there's nothing. They're just, these are all just technologies. Paper sure. was a technology, too, um, at one time. So, you know, I don't, I don't have a, a lot of um, uh, a romanticism about whether the, the app itself or the, the mechanism for how we get that information is good or bad. Um, I do think that there's a way in which, especially for people who part of the pilgrimage is their journey in learning um, about, for example, um, uh, learning themselves and the kind of planning that they take and the, the, the freedom to, to trust themselves in a decision and those yeah. kind of things. Sometimes these apps do take out some of those, those challenges, right? In, in, in ways that are probably not good. Like if you if you're out on the pilgrimage, and you realize that you're lost, yeah, it, that has a there's a there's a lot of fears that come in. There's a lot of growth that comes with. Okay, well, I feel like I'm lost. What do I do next? I might have made a wrong turn. I don't know whether to go forward and hope that I find the Camino again, or do I go back? You know, all of these these sorts of questions, and. Um, and the, the apps take out a lot of that. So there are ways that the apps will, um, take out some of the challenge of, or the, the Mm. growth that comes with pilgrimage, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but on the whole, I think, um, they, you know, they're just like the books or whatever it else. It's, you know, it's just another mechanism for finding the information. Um, but there are a lot of them, <laughs> of the apps. There are so many of them. <laughs> I haven't really explored that side of it, to be completely honest, but that's really interesting. I, I saw that just the, today I saw a post um, that where you wrote it, for me it's not the mountains or the snoring. <laughs> what is the, <laughs> yeah. the hardest part of the Camino de Santiago? It's the stopping. Yeah, yeah. Well, and specifically, that post is uh, I, is about my friendships. You know, um, the the for me, the hardest part is leaving these friends that you make. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think I think losing the routine and losing that get up every day and take another step and find your, find your breakfast your and your second breakfast and so on. You know, there's a routine there that I think many of us grow to love. But for me, the hardest part is absolutely leaving these friends that you make, you know, um, that we, we form and, and I'm an extrovert by nature. So I, you know, I love these relationships that form on Camino, but it's, it's for me, absolutely the hardest part every time is, is to, leave the trail and to leave these friends. I've got, um, so I was in, uh, Spain in July. I did a, a couple of weeks, um, on Camino Frances and, and, uh, in that time I have ended up with two groups, uh, on WhatsApp of these international pilgrims. And we continue to message each other back and forth, you know, almost every day people, um, sharing pictures of their, new travels and uh, telling people each other about what's going on in their lives. And, and so, you know, the, in some ways technology has allowed us to maintain some of those Camino friendships, uh, even after we come off the trail, but they'll never be the same. Right. Um, so, 
Yeah, definitely the hardest part for me yeah. is leaving. Wow, I love that. I, my quote this week was from John Cage, um, begin anywhere. How yeah. should I start my Camino? Hmm. Well, you know, I have said actually in some of the videos that I think the, the uh, beginning of the Camino for all of us is the decision to go. That when, when we decide to go, that is, we've begun the way. Um, because that's going to begin to uh, ask, we're going to begin to ask the questions, right? We're going to ask the questions about whether I can make the finances work and the schedule work and all that. And we're going to ask questions of ourselves about how much do I really need to carry? How comfortable can I be? You know, do I need all the hygiene products that I do use in everyday life? Or can I be okay with, uh, you know, a bottle of shampoo and a bar of soap? And, um, you know, and so I think when we're making those decisions, we're already, we're already on pilgrimage, you know? And, uh, and so, yeah, I think, I think the, the beginning of that pilgrimage is certainly the decision to go and then to carry through with that, um, and uh, and I'm not sure that there's uh, a good way to make a decision about that, um, except for that if you can't stop thinking about it, then you should probably go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, look, we're almost out of time. I, I, like I said, I could talk to you for days. Um, your video, one of the videos talks about the five reasons I should walk the Camino. Um, mm-hmm. Give me your top tip. If somebody asks you, why should I walk the Camino de Santiago? What's the, the, the number one tip you give them or the number one reason why? Well, I, I mean, I, I, let, me, let me give two answers, actually. <laughs> the first one is, f- for me, the reason to go is the community that's formed. I, I just, the community that is formed around this walk is so precious to me. But that's probably not the good pastor answer. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think, I think the, the reason for pilgrimage, cause we could form community in other ways, I'm sure. But for me, the reason for pilgrimage is, uh, definitely going to be, um, that we need to have a break from our everyday life so that we can grow into the next stage of who we're to be, the next stage of our relationship with God, the next stage of our, um, you know, maturity, emotional maturity, and, um, and so I think, you know, pilgrimage introduces an opportunity for that. That's um, pretty unique. Great stuff. Oh, well, it's so great to talk to you, Jeremiah. I really wish you all the very best, um, in your future endeavors and perhaps our paths will cross one day and, and perhaps they'll, our paths will even cross on the Camino itself, which would be just so wonderful. Thank you for what that. you do. Um, I will point my listeners in your direction and and show them how to find your videos. And and I look forward to reading and and seeing them for for a long time to come. Thank you for what you do. And and in the meantime, Buen Camino. Uh, Buen Camino, friend. My guest this week was Dr. Jeremiah Gibbs, the university chaplain at the University of Indianapolis. And you can find Jeremiah's videos at Camino Guide. That's his YouTube channel. Camino Guide, and you can find the big list of them there, and you can enjoy them as much as I do and and did. So Dr. Jeremiah Gibbs, and if you Google him as well, he's also got a uh, a page, jeremiahgibbs.com, 
and you'll find some other Camino blogs and some other writings there as well. Remember my quote this week was from John Cage, the famous musician. Begin anywhere. It's a good start, isn't it? Some good advice. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way, somewhere